going. Um, in the past um, uh, week and a half, I mean, so much has changed um, as far as the the, um, the markets. And basically, you know, if I had have been given this presentation two weeks ago, it probably would have been very different to even what it was only uh, only today. Um, particularly with what's been happening in the economic environment and the political environment with um, with overseas economies. Um, sorry, can I just please say I'm still hearing a lot of noise and a lot of echo. Could uh, whoever's on the other end of the line please put me on mute now? Um, everybody can hear you, and I can hear myself reverbing back. Okay, somebody clearly can't put us on mute. All right. Anyway, I'll keep going. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, okay, so obviously the big stories at the moment is what's happening with the US in terms of its overall economic conditions um, and what sort of uh, you know messages are coming out as far as the statistics, particularly around uh, industrial production, the uh, the level of employment, which unfortunately has ticked up again, and um, the overall consumer sentiment, and clearly that's not looking good. Um, in amongst that, we also had the discussion around uh, the Greek situation. Clearly, that is the hot topic at the moment. That has definitely spooked the, spooked the markets, particularly in the last month and a half. And you've got, at the moment, a situation where the Greek government has done probably what no other Greek government has done before, and has actually managed to pass through some fairly severe austerity measures in terms of reduced expenditure for the government, increased taxes, reduced services. I'm sure we've all seen the uh, media reports the last couple of days where there is literally rioting in the streets of Athens at the moment um, and people are saying, obviously, you know, how can this be our problem? This is all the government's problem. Why should we worry about it? And unfortunately, what they're not realising is that it's a population's problem when they spend more than they earn. And unfortunately, that's what the Greeks have done for multi-decades. It's no surprise that the Greeks are where they are uh, the surprise is, of course, that they're actually doing something or appear to be doing something about it. Uh, the ECB, the European Bank, um, and the IMF have put, got them over a barrel without creating a technical default. Um, and they've said, we are only going to offer you money to support your, your economy and also to extend your debt um, if you implement these austerity measures. So, in fact, the Wednesday... The Wednesday this week's um, move to implement austerity measures were incredibly important in terms of reducing some level of risk because at least it now allows that one condition from the ECB to be satisfied and we should be expecting, whilst it won't be a technical default, it'll be a, um, the bonds related to the Greek government debt will be pushed out long enough Hopefully that it will allow Greece to eventually start paying down. But we are talking about a multi-decade situation. Don't think for a minute that the, the Greeks are, you know, three years from now are going to immediately have a, a, um, a surplus within their economy. That will not happen. Um, so it's quite serious. Now Greece, as we said, month by month by month, has not in itself a very, very small market. In fact, it's less than 1% of the overall fixed interest market in the world. Uh, the real issue here is that the Greeks... Italians, Portuguese, Irish, and um, who was the one I missed? Portuguese and the Spanish, but effectively, and the French and Germans have all cross-linked to each other, each other over many years, and there's significant amount of amount of debt across each other. So the real issue here is really around the contagion factor. 
is if you have a toppling of a couple of hundred billion dollars worth of debt in one economy, what does it do to those economies who've lent the money? And it's just another version, a wholesale version of, uh, of a bond subprime crisis. Uh, clearly, Europeans have learnt the lessons to some extent of what the, U the U.S. have gone through, and have and have really ch tried to avoid the Greeks going into a, a, a full and technical default. So um, there's reasons to be a little bit optimistic uh, about the um, the final lay of the land um, in terms of the European economy. Obviously, we can't dispel the fact that you know when you have people riding the street, you do have social unrest. Um, that the, you know that's quite serious, and in, in, you know in reality, the only difference between the um, the Greek riots and the Libyan riots is the fact that people have brought out guns and they're trying to topple the government. So um, you know there, there isn't a huge amount of difference between these levels of social unrest across the world, and they are quite serious. Hence the reason you see a lot of uh, volatility in the market. Um, this week has been a good recovery. We have seen a good recovery in markets, not just in the states, which were, you know, effectively running at less. I think the, the bottom was about 11,850-ish, uh, back up to 4,408 as at last night. The Australian markets come off its bottom for this particular little bit uh, by a couple of hundred points, and is now running at the 54600s again. Um, you know, not by any means do we think this is necessarily over, but it certainly has taken off the short-term or today's short-term risks. Um, the overall growth story has definitely softened. Um, so what we're seeing at the moment is what we would normally regard as a, you know, three steps forward, two steps back global recovery. That global recovery is still in place. There is, there's not a well-held belief that we're looking at a double-dip recession. Um, by any means, but the, there's most certainly a very big differentiation between the developed markets economies which are expected to grow at sub-3 and in fact probably around the 2% to 2.5% mark versus the, um, the overall emerging economies you know, running at well over 6 which gives you the average of about the 4% mark or 4.5% mark. Um, you know, We've often talked about two-speed economies in the US being the consumer versus the corporate, the two-speed economy of course in Australia being resources versus everyone else, and the global world is obviously a two-speed worldwide village where you've got emerging markets versus developed markets. Moving on to the US, and I'm on the next slide, <coughs> the, um, the anemic growth in the US uh, continues. Consumption growth is definitely slowing, and, and as it, you know, this is coming off the back of the fact that you still have 30% uh, reduction or 30% fall off the peak in terms of house prices. But that, again, like all statistics, is an average across a very large number. There are house prices that are well off by over 50% in certain areas, um, you know, and, and versus house prices which are not off at all in others. So just understand that there are large tracts of the, of the U.S. population um, who, because their home prices weren't worth a lot to start off with, have fallen much further than 30% and it's only because those larger price properties on the west and the east coast of the US that haven't fallen by as much is, is keeping that average up. Um, just want to remind everybody the statistic we, uh, we mentioned last uh, month which was basically you know, one in five give or take homes in the US are in negative equity. Um, now clearly you know, on the positive side of course is people are deleveraging so the risk to you know, greater falls is reducing obviously over time as people keep a job, those who have a job, and are able to hold into their houses. But at the end of the day, you know, 
you know, we are looking at you know, 9% unemployment rate. It's not a great picture. And I think the, the thing you've got to really understand in terms of the US recovery is the US recovery is all about corporates um, and across the world to also make the point, and this is a worldwide phenomenon, is that um, across the world companies have never had healthier balance sheets. They're sitting on, you know, historically high levels of cash and are obviously poised for a position where should things settle down, I expect to see a lot of merger and acquisition activity and quite a positive environment. In, a, in amongst that, you also have a worldwide deleveraging. Long term, that is a positive for investors. If you have a deleveraging, or a fairly well deleveraged um, consumer sitting alongside a very strong corporate world in terms of balance sheets, they are positives. However, you have short term challenges being Worldwide economic uh, volatility, you know, slowing down of world eco economics, high levels of unemployment, um, you know, all sort of going into the mix. Now China obviously is, is the key as far as Australia is concerned and obviously the key for the worldwide uh, economic story. Industrial production has slowed, but remember that's a managed slowing of production. Uh, exporting and investment does remain robust. Construction is expected to grow. We saw some statistics this morning from one of our high-level research sources um, forecasting 570 million Chinese moving into urban areas over the next two decades. Now that has a clear positive implication for resources and building and construction. Large levels of that have been driven by the Chinese government managing low-cost public housing. The heat has come off the upper end in terms of investing and high high cost property. So at the moment, the you know it'd be fair to say that the the multi-decade story around China is still very much in place. But we do we do have some short-term risks. Those short-term risks are being managed by the uh, the Chinese. But you know obviously it takes just about anything to spook the markets at the moment. Uh, we still you know saddle with the multi-decade story and obviously thinking about equity markets as being the long-term investment they are. Um, the real question here is convincing our, of our clients of the fact that they need to think about this from a, from a multi-decade story. Um, and I'll talk about some other short-term risks in a minute. Um, outside of China, India, East Asia, uh, ex-Japan are still doing quite well. Um, inflationary pressures are, are probably rife across the world, but particularly in Asia. Um, almost all economies the, except for Australia, are accommodative in terms of interest rates. And now there's obviously some, there is some discussion around where inflation goes. Um, across the economies of the world, inflation is like, unlikely to have upward pressure on it, whilst large levels of population are suffering, um, you know, very tight monetary conditions personally. What we're talking about here is the, the markets or the federal, government, federal reserves of all these economies have had to keep inflation rate and interest rates, beg your pardon, low. So in, as in order to prevent um, corporate reduction in activity, but that's not necessarily been reflected in the consumer experience. So you have this very different experience where large groups of population are seeing heightened cost of living. Um, at the same time, you're seeing, um, you know, companies making lots and lots of, you know, good money, and the, you know, most world economies just simply cannot raise interest rates without causing a, effectively a, a another recession. So, um, you know, governments have certainly got their 
you know, their work cut out for them. And in fact, if I was to talk about the high, highest risk of all is policy failure. Um, certainly policy failure is probably the highest risk in terms of Australia. In Australia, uh, you know, we have had our largest fall in a, qu a quarter for quite a long time, 1.2% in the March quarter in terms of GDP. Clearly that's part of what's added to the issues in Australia in terms of the market. So we've had a, a slowing down of the, of the Chinese, we've had a slight, uh, pretty poor numbers in the US. Those two by themselves wouldn't have been terribly positive for the Australian market. But then on top of that, um, we've also had um, you know, this situation where we've had the, you know, the GDP fall of the, the activity. The GDP fall though, we've got to remember the March quarter relates to, uh, you know, a lot of periods where, um, where there was the, um, the natural disasters relating to Queensland. Queensland was actually uh, minus 4%, well over minus 4% in, in GDP contribution, whereas all the other states were actually just above zero or in the black. So you've got it. So the discussion about you know how bad were the floods and how bad was Cyclone Yasi for the Australian economy? It just shows you that when you've got you know a large economy like Queensland relative to Australia, and it was one of the two productive or highly productive states in Australia, having a negative month, it's obviously dragged down the entire Australian economy. Um, we expect that to be a short-term blip. Um, obviously, we'll be watching that very carefully. Overall, the economic situation for Australian companies is reasonably good. Um, the, the real message we'll be looking for obviously is the, the end of year financial reporting which is due to begin in two weeks and will go out till the end of August. We expect indicative numbers um, to be available by the time we get to the July research teleconference and obviously we think the most important numbers of all are really the numbers that come out of Commonwealth Bank in terms of overall lending and finance and BHP in terms of materials. If, if those numbers meet or exceed expectations, I think you'll see some positive activity. Um, if those numbers are well under expectations, I think you'll see further market weakness, at least in the short term. And that's despite the underlying basis that Australian share markets right now are not overpriced. We're running at a 12 times PE. Okay, so it's, it's important to understand that you know 12 times historically is below uh, below average, if you like, but nevertheless, uh, we, we, we can't ignore the fact that we've got you know some serious issues that we've got to get through, and you know both domestically as well as um, domestically as well as overseas. Um, the RBA has made its its um, comments known in terms of what it expects in terms of the um, the economy. It's got a got a real job, obviously, because it's trying to reallocate resources, being re reallocating financial resources across an economy that is literally two speed. And one of the interesting other statistics that we've, um, that we've found is that as a workforce in Australia, the resources and materials area directly accounts for less than 2% of our workforce, um, which is obviously the, the sort of thing that you're seeing where you have 98 of the overall Australian consumers not enjoying the benefits of our resources boom. There are some offshoot um, industrial areas that are benefiting. Obviously resource services are doing quite well, engineering to an extent accounting, legal explanation and other industries are benefiting but if you think about retail, retail is struggling, um, financials are struggling um, and those are two very, very large areas of the, of the Australian economy. So, which leads us on to the idea around political and sovereign risk. Um, I've spoken about this in general terms previously but Alex and Nana have kindly put in a slide to really you know, prompt the thinking around this. If you think about 
virtually every political situation in the world right now, they're either hamstrung through um, effectively uh, a hung parliament or they're hamstrung because of very, very strong lobby groups. So lobbying, lobbying in terms of the U.S. is you have um, the House, of, the Representative Council of Congress, if you like, in the U.S. effectively being run by the Democrats, and you've got the um, the upper house being run by the Republicans, which makes it very difficult for Obama to get laws through that are in any way controversial. So it's not like he's going to be looking for any major reductions in spending in terms of health education. He might look to touch defence, and in fact, defence is the one area that the U.S. Um, our population appears to be losing patience with in terms as far as expenditure so he has got a bit of leeway there and that would be a positive. In the European area, Europeans have always politically had an issue with doing anything controversial. Europeans are historically very, very happy with the status quo and the status quo simply won't work. So the, the recent actions of the ECB, the Germans and the Greeks in terms of austerity and also preventing defaults I think is a, is a recognition, the first glimmers of a recognition that things need to change. And of course we have Australia where if you think about the Australian political environment, I mean, we're closer to that than anyone else in terms of our financial markets, but there's almost every industrial or economic sector of Australia is being somehow damaged or hurt by Australian policy. And the policy is simply not able to be affected within um, our Australian parliaments because we have independents that have clearly got to deal with um, their own very specific constituent needs. You've got a Labor government that's, that's basically been held over the barrel and, and quite frankly doesn't know what the hell they're doing. And you've got the Liberals that really only need, just need to take pot shots at the Labor um, and every time they do so it, it effectively you know, stunts whatever laws are going to come to pass. Um, you know, I won't get into a political debate but I mean there, there are some pretty serious issues in Australia and, and suffice to say that for everything that this country's got going for it, we should be doing a lot better than what we are and, and I, I think a fair amount of investment is staying offshore for two reasons. Number one, our high, our high Australian dollar and number two, because there is an extremely high level of um, Australian political risk at the moment. Um, even so far as to say we actually cited an Economist article. Uh, these articles are not written by Australians where Australia actually did come up in the article and it made that point exactly that Australia should be doing a lot better but for the fact that our government is not able to implement policy which appears to allow the economy to do what it needs to do. Moving right along, um, in terms of asset classes, Cash, uh, we do expect an increase in the interest rate, um, maybe not so much, I suppose things change so fast at the moment, the expectation for the interest rates is that something along the lines of a 25 basis point just before the end of the year, 25 basis point after the next, uh, after New Year's, is probably now being pushed out to early next year, but please don't think for a minute that there won't be some form of interest rate rise, even if it's moderate, over the next 12 months. Um, and bear in mind that even if there isn't one, we still do have the highest interest rates relative to the developed world in the world um, at 4.75. Obviously, the environment for your clients is not good. Uh, with all this volatility, they're wondering, why shouldn't I just be buying term deposits and cash? It's a fair, it's a fair comment to make if they're, if they're particularly short-term investors or, or if they're pensioners. Certainly not a reasonable comment if they're, in, if they're truly an accumulation investor. 
but it can be difficult. I mean, we're all human beings and it's pretty hard that we've had three years worth of flat or down markets. Um, one thing we would say to you in terms of the research committee, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on in terms of supporting you around this, is that people need to remember why they're investing. And cash is not an investment asset. It is an, invest it is an asset to park your funds. And it's important for people to realise that even when you're invested in cash, you are losing money relative to the in inflation after tax. Okay. Now, if you're a pensioner, maybe that's not such a bigger, not such a big issue. But certainly, if you're an accumulator, uh, cash, even with a term deposit, is not necessarily a good proposition. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, so we are saying, you know, long-term investment horizon. Certainly, look at your your growth assets. We do believe that if you're investing for anything over five years, you should still be in your uh, strategic strategic position in terms of your portfolio. If you're talking about cash. Um, or the defensive side of people who are not in the accumulation phase, we believe that an overweight position to cash relative to fixed interest is certainly appropriate. We think it's the be it's a better and safer area in terms of the sleep at night factor. Moving on to fixed interest, um, there are individual opportunities or specific opportunities within fixed interest. The short end of the fixed interest curve has actually made some good money this month. Yet again, nevertheless, this area is not an area to invest in over the long term. Um, we have a, um, a situation now where bond rates, medium and long term bond rates have yet again fallen. In a non-disrupted financial market, this would be extremely positive for the equity markets. Um, the long term bond rate has fallen to 5% and would normally indicate that the Australian market, Australian equity market is actually undervalued relative to bonds and normally that would have everybody running out and buying shares like gangbusters. That's not the case for the reasons I mentioned earlier on. And likewise in the case of the states, uh, the long term 10 year bond rate is running at 2.94 relative to the 0% rate short term. Um, the this real situation there is that you really sovereign risk and you're talking about the European debt crisis, creating spread returns for, for active fixed interest fund managers. So we believe that our best positions with that is to really rely on the diversified fixed interest fund managers. We do believe that the active fixed interest fund managers are adding value and don't believe it, they are doing it. Uh, so we're talking about the EQTs and PIMCOs continue to do a good job. Nevertheless, in terms of fixed interest, we're maintaining a uh, underweight for uh, relative to cash for the defensive portion of people's portfolios. Moving on to property, uh, we maintain our underweight position to property. Uh, in terms of listed property, certainly had another rough month. In terms of uh, direct property, I think finally, you know, people, the, the general commentator has finally realised that the Australian property market has been overvalued. There, ha there are across the board falls in property. The thing that's on the Australian side is that demographic and an immigration profile that will support property prices, real property prices, which means we're not looking at a crash. What we're looking at is a long-term stagnation of property prices um, in Australia, uh, which is obviously a very different scenario to what it is in the world. Um, but across the board, listed property trust remains not a great place to be. Um, our Australian equity fund managers continue to invest in very specific opportunities which are making money, but uh, it's certainly not an area to play with in terms of long-term long listed property. So we believe, we believe it's a lot, uh, you know, as far as the three-year outlook that the research committee has on its portfolios, we believe it will underperform equities, and certainly that's been a continued good call. 
Of the equities, we maintain an overweight position for Australian equities. I think at the end of the day, this comes back to why are we invested at all. We believe that we fundamentally have a good, solid corporate environment with low risk on the balance sheet. We do have a lot of short-term and medium-term risks. We do have a fairly poor government. Uh, that government will change at some point within the next two years. It's a guarantee. Um, but somewhere along the line, things will change even, even to the point where you get a majority, even if it's the same government, you'll have something happening to allow the government to implement policy. Uh, but I doubt it'll be the same government, of course. Uh, so given the global macro environment, we do have um, resource-related stocks uh, suffering off the back of the Chinese slowdown, um, the managed slowdown. Uh, nevertheless, we look at an overall picture and say, you know, I'll give you some examples. We have the current Westpac dividend um, running at above 7% and, above, and in, with franking running at above 8%. Now, relative to term deposits, for example, that, that was my point earlier on, relative to term deposits, you would ask, your, your, ask yourself a question. If you believe Westpac will continue to be in business for the term of your term deposit, you can make a very strong argument that Australian equities, even just for income, is a great proposition. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that clients are going to ignore the price movements, and obviously it does scare clients, but those clients that are opportunistic, it is something to think about. When you look at the dividend rate of your top 20, particularly top 20 stocks, they're running at well over 4%, well, well over 4%, but I wouldn't have a guess, they're probably over 5 After franking, they'll be close to 6 and the best term deposit you're seeing at the moment is in the low 6s, and there's no upside to term deposit, and obviously franking has a tax benefit. So it's just something to think about. We think fundamentally that um, we do believe that Australia is fundamentally in good shape but there are some obviously some specific and serious issues short term and medium term that need to be washed out. Um, moving on to international, we maintain our neutral view to international. Obviously um, our long term overall overweight to emerging markets, we, we're happy with that. Um, you know, albeit the fact that, you know, it's slightly underperformed the developed markets index but only slightly. Um, we've had, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's not been a great area or an easy area to invest. There is going to be a slight kicker in terms of currency performance because the um, Aussie dollar has fallen a little bit off the cross currencies, but nevertheless the markets have, have taken the shine off that, that extra performance or that little bit of currency performance. Uh, we believe in terms of currency that the, um, the Aussie dollar, at least for the short time, is likely to stay in around the position that it is, maybe a little bit up, a little bit down, but not a massive movement. Um, but we've got to, I think in terms of the international investing environment, that area, if, if anything, has probably been the area that's motivated and, and we've heard the feedback from advisors about client questions and has led us to think about doing client-facing discussion or presentation material to support you about what is exactly going on right now. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, with that, I've done the economics and the market side and the, obviously the asset allocation. I might move on to move with Alex to talk about the fund side, as he always does. Alex, where you go, mate? Thanks, Vic. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we'll just uh, quickly go through the, the, uh, the section on uh, the managers that we saw during the course of the month. Uh, once again, we, we looked at both managers who aren't on the approved list and also some who are already on the approved list and just wanted to uh, review uh, their performance and how, how, things have been, how things have been going. Just quickly, um, one of the new funds, uh, obviously we've got Macquarie on the approved list, but uh, one of the funds that we don't is the Asia New Stars Fund. 
Um, essentially what this fund looks at is quite unique in the sense that the, uh, the manager has actually uh, put together a, a portfolio of stocks which really fit in the small cap space within the um, Asian, um, Asian equity market and, and small cap in the Asian equity market is really about, the, you know, primarily in the $1 to $2 billion market cap. So had a look at that. Um, interested and, uh, and it looks quite, um, looks like, uh, looks like it could be something that we may consider somewhere down the track, but at this stage, still got limited uh, performance and we'd, what we'd also like to do is obviously see if there's any other managers out there um, who are kind of working in that same space and see how they perform. So something that uh, we'll definitely kind of return to in, in the future, but at this stage, uh, we didn't approve the Macquarie Asia New Stars number one fund. Also, uh, Wellington, um, large, Wellington's a larger US-based uh, manager. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you already know uh, of Wellington. Um, they've now come into Australia and, and they're now looking at uh, making a presence in the retail space. Um, this is an interesting move by them on the basis that they already, have, they already do quite a bit of institutional money and also um, some sub-advisory. And what you may know, and for those advisors who've been around for quite a while, um, we have two uh, Goldman Sachs JB Weir funds on the approved list and they are managed by Wellington. Um, so what we want to do there is really look at those funds uh, primarily and just see how they're performing and, and get a bit of a, uh, additional information about those funds before we consider something in terms of Wellington. So uh, the Wellington Global Value <coughs> Fund, which we specifically looked at on the, uh, in, in the meeting, uh, we decided not to approve. Another manager who's been around uh, on the approval list actually for quite a while, and this is the old Fortis Fund, is the Arnhem um, Australian Equity Fund. Um, we really got these guys in because, to be quite honest, their performance over the last 12 months has struggled, um, and we really wanted to focus on what had been occurring in terms of their business. Now, firstly, I guess it's important to note that they haven't made any changes to their investment philosophy or process, and, and that's always an important part of, uh, of meeting up with a manager. What they did focus on was that, they, um, that stock selection had let, uh, had let them down quite a bit. Uh, some points in, in particular, or general points that they, they mentioned, were that a lot of the funds, a lot of the stocks that they invest in, uh, are globally um, are struggling a lot because uh, they have global exposure, and uh, the Australian dollar has actually um, hit, hurt their performance. They also didn't go into gold stocks as well. Um, so, as you probably know, the gold price has increased quite a lot over quite a period of time. However, they can't get their hands around uh, where the gold price should actually be and therefore they've decided to be prudent there, they'll keep out of gold and therefore that's obviously uh, impacted on performance. So what you have with Arnhem is um, 12 months has been poor performance against their benchmark. Um, their longer term performance is still quite strong and, and from an investment uh, perspective, uh, being an equity manager, you know, it's really that three to five year period which we focus on most. However, I guess given that, that poor 12-month performance, we will kind of monitor performance going forward and just see how they go. So bottom line, uh, no change in Arnhem. Uh, they'll, they'll, rem they'll retain their uh, approved list status. Aviva, uh, one of the other managers that's been on the approved list for a while, they've got a high growth uh, shares fund and we caught up with them in June as well. Um, quite, quite positive here. Um, really no, no concerns there. Um, just uh, obviously they do some short selling which is a little bit different from a lot of the other managers um, and so uh, we were quite uh, comfortable to retain them on the approved list. They've got over about 10 years um, of performance history and, and that's been quite strong during that whole period even through the GFC. So obviously the short selling probably would have helped them quite a bit uh, during that period. 
uh, final manager we caught up with was uh, Perennial, and you may know that they have two Australian equity funds on the approved list, the, uh, the Value Shares Trust and also the Value Shares for Income Trust. Now, a bit with, I guess, consistent with Arnhem, they've also struggled uh, probably over the last 12 months in particular. Um, but also, as with Arnhem, they haven't really made any changes in their investment philosophy or process. So, once again, that, that is a tick in, in terms of um, a positive for us. However, once again, they've, they've looked at stock selection and they were a little bit more specific in relation to their sector cause, which actually did, uh, did hit their performance. So they do a bit of attribution analysis and show that that's where uh, performance had suffered a little bit. Look, once again, we're happy to kind of keep them on the approved list, um, but once again, we'll also monitor their performance going forward. Um, the 12 months, obviously, you know, relatively short period of time. Uh, it's the three to five years which we'll focus on, but uh, we'll definitely keep our eyes and ears open as to how they're performing, and if we feel there's some um, issues, we'll, we'll definitely call them back in. That covers the, uh, the managers that uh, we saw during June. Um, I'll continue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to do a bit of uh, tag team recognise, so I'll continue on. Um, Audman, now this is a bit of an on, off, and then on again situation. Um, back in March, you may recall that we actually did approve Audman um, as an advisory third broker, uh, broker uh, manager for wholesale, and, and for wholesale and retail clients of Matrix. Um, when we actually did get the, the contract from them, um, it wasn't actually what we were expecting to, to see and some of the information that was supposed to be included within that contract wasn't there. Um, subsequently, we've, uh, we've spoken to them. They provided a new up-to-date contract. Um, John Morris has, has reviewed it and is quite comfortable with it, so we've decided to both um, uh, re-approve them on the approved list and, and obviously sign off that contract. So they are now back on the approved list and, uh, and you'll note them in the APL. So really, their advisor referred um, brokers uh, on our approved list. Okay. Back uh, to Rick on yes. SMSF. Thanks, Alice. Okay, so just talking about SMSF, last month I mentioned that we were well underway with our pr platform review. Um, in alongside the platform review, we are um, we're also looking at doing a, a general review of other services, um, including things like SMSF and just looking at the general market of administration providers. Um, the platform review is in its last three weeks and we'll be doing a, um, a recommendation to the board about that as well as obviously communicate with all of you. Uh, certainly by next research, you'll, you know, we'll all be well aware of exactly what we're doing with the platforms. Um, and that, that's all going quite well. Um, some of the some advisors had made a request that could we please have a look at the SMSF area um, and Tanya has kindly uh, prepared a comparison table which is I suppose the initial phase of a review. It's about five or six pages that just covers off uh, the five primary uh, SMSF providers that we have on the matrix approved product list being Heffron, Hub24, PSI, NSF, Super Guardian, Super Plus. And, um, and it just talks about the main attributes. You'll get examples of that type of platform review also when we do the admin platform review, just to give you a bit of an easier run through as to you know what are the pros and cons of using the different things and comparing them. Because um, you know obviously it's not the sort of thing you're going to get out of a product comparison. It's a it's more part of our due diligence that we do. So. Uh, obviously, we thank Tanya for helping us out with that, and also the fact that we'll move forward and and um, you know give you some material on platform review land pretty shortly. Um, okay, moving on to instalments. What a saga this has been in the past month and a half. For those of you probably aware of it, you know we approved last month the um, the Wilsons Access 20 as well as the Mason Stevens Equity Insulator, both being ASX 20 instalment type products, but listed on the market. 
Um, there's been a real disruption in the Wilson side. So nothing I'm going to talk about today is about Masons. Masons still chugging along doing what they do. Um, but Wilson's has, um, there was actually an issue with the product. Unfortunately, uh, the RBS, the underlying issue of RBS decided to change the terms of the product after we'd approved it. Uh, very, very naughty, let's say. Uh, and they had some things in there which actually A, would have breached Matrix's license had we used it and B, would have, was actually very poor investment logic which is actually uh, stock lending. We pulled the pin immediately. I know there were very few advisors affected and we communicated with them um, and the Wilson guy has immediately moved to create a non-problematic uh, non product if you like which is the Access 20 Plus. Um, that was then released about a week and a half ago, which is obviously a bit of a rid ridiculous situation. And then after that, decided there wasn't enough demand, and they've since last Friday, I think it was, they pulled it in on the product total. So we we effectively have no such a product relationship with Wilson's, and uh, you know I'm probably quite happy with that. Um, as I said, Mason Stevens isn't affected by this; they're just doing what they're doing. Uh, in breaking news. About half an hour ago, I was visited by Anne Hamey. Anne has resigned from Wilson's uh, off her own steam, and she has um, taken another opportunity in a completely different area of financial services. Uh, we wish her well. We're not surprised, and um, we'll be going from there. So none of this has been officially informed to me by Wilson's. I've just literally been visited by Anne just before this teleconference. So... Um, we should move on because I think that's just, um, you know, not a great picture. The, um, the Wilson's people, I've spoken to the head of Wilson's. Uh, for those of you who have current instalments that have got a little bit more time to go, uh, you know, at the strategy structure level, there is no intention on their uh, side to do anything with the Westpac instalments, which we hold, um, or the other instalments we hold, uh, partly because they're profitable to them and partly because there's no reason to. Those, those instalments only have a little bit left to go anyway. So uh, they will finish up. I think we, um, you know, most of you, for those who had rollovers, either terminated the instalment or took the stock. Um, ha being a person who personally took the stock, I'm quite happy to be sitting on a 20% return on my five stocks that I've got. So hopefully your clients have been able to do that because that's actually a reasonable positive outcome uh, for those products. The instalment, the original instalments themselves actually did exactly what they were meant to do. Obviously we weren't happy about the cash flow side. Moving along, uh, in terms of model portfolio land, just want to let you fir know, first up in terms of matrix managed fund model portfolio land, had a pretty ordinary month. Uh, the model portfolios across the board pretty much just met the market, didn't do much. Um, although I should tell you, just to reinforce for those of you who do look, don't, maybe don't look at the models, that the matrix model portfolios, uh, let's say for the growth, have outperformed the index by 4%, over 4% for two years, 1.93% uh, for three years, and 1.43% for five years. And uh, balance has outperformed by 3.48 for two years, uh, 1.73 for three years, and 1% for five years. And uh, obviously, um, you know, done quite well, over, actually done even better over the one year, but I thought the longer term is probably more important. We focus on three year returns, so let's say for example um, the, the managed fund model portfolios have outperformed by let's say somewhere between one and a half and two percent, 
uh, don't want to sit on our laurels. It's not something you, you guarantee, but for those people who are building it themselves, if you can beat it, go for it. You can tell us how you're doing it. If you can't beat it, um, please have a look at these models because these are very, very simple. There's no sexies. There's only long only managers in there. Anyway, uh, in terms of the matrix model share portfolios, they are doing exactly what they're meant to be doing. We're very happy with them. Obviously, they've only been around a few months, but so far so good. Um, and they are pumping out exactly what they should be doing. Uh, they are outperforming most of the uh, most of the managed funds on the Australian share list. No, maybe that's not a surprise. I don't know. Um, Occasionally, Morningstar did tell us that there's times when they'll need to make adjustments intra-quarter. Um, in the past few weeks, this has been the case. I think they wound out of Pacific Brands was the stock um, in order to reduce risk on the portfolio. It, it's a smart move, and uh, for those people who have you know, dipped their toe into it, uh, you will see you'll need to make that stock change. For those people who are in the SMA via Hub24, you don't need to do a single thing. It'll just be done for you. So, um, yep. So far, so good. That's working quite well. Which leads me on to the, the situation with clients. I think what we often think about in research committee is we've got all this information that hits our desk, you know, an inch and a half worth of paper that's, that I'm sitting right in front of right now that is all the material we use for research committee. And it goes from all the way up, you know, to institutional level research from BCA, uh, bank credit analyst, all the way to individual fund manager research, comsec research, all this sort of stuff. And what often happens is you get inundated with all this information. We then give you a lot of information. We try and make it as, as bite-sized and simple as we can in these research teleconferences. We give you the PowerPoints. We give you the client-based PowerPoints, but you still have occasionally times like this when there's market disruption and hurt. Clients coming to you going, oh, my God, what the hell's going on? Please help me. You know, is, is the world coming to an end? And, and you know, as... as you know, advisors and investors, we want to be sensible and, and tell them the right thing to do, but there's always, you know, there's always clients who need to be helped a little bit. So one of the things that we're working on, what we're thinking of, is producing a short, sweet, but simple client-facing, um, let's say, presentation, document, whatever, um, that will explain and talk about the basics, but also talk about some very current things around what's going on in the market. We don't want to gloss over the issues, but we certainly want to make people remember why they originally invested. So talk to them about the negatives, you know, short-term risk, Greek debt, all that sort of stuff, and also talk about the long-term positives of what, what actually is the worldwide deleveraging story. What does it really mean to an investor? Because it's actually a long-term positive story. So um, I would love to hear, after the roll call, people to stay online and love to hear what you'd like to have in this presentation whether we've hit the mark, whether we're losing it, you know, whether it's not a good idea, good or great idea. We'll obviously continue to do our normal client-based presentation. This is a supplementary one that has specific market-based stuff. Uh, and it just talks about, you know, why you're investing in the long term and thinking about the risks and the benefits and the positives and negatives. So we, we believe that we will, that will be a help for you. Um, before, before I close off this particular area, I'll draw your attention to the restricted fund list. For those of you, I know occasionally Oasis isn't necessarily, or BT aren't necessarily the best communicators of this stuff. For any of you who have clients in this area, please take note of this slide because it talks about the next uh, withdrawal, market close date, and Oasis and BT cutoffs. So have a little look at that. Just before I go off to roll call and hand over to Alex, um, last night we received our, um, our BCA, or Bank Credit Anal Analysis Global Investment Strategy, uh, paper, which is a very significant piece of work. It's the thing that we added to our research capabilities. It's um, 
as, as, as high level as you can possibly get in, in the world in terms of investment research. It's the stuff the fund managers use. And um, I suppose the first thing to make a comment of is they believe that China will, will definitely be a soft landing. They believe there's a series of hopeful signs around the US and the global economy. Hopeful sign no, number one is that oil prices have reduced. Hopeful sign number two is the global supply chain disruption from the Japanese earthquake is starting to fade. Hopeful sign number three is the process of deleveraging is slowing. It doesn't stop, but it's still it's slowing. Um, hopeful sign number four, there's plenty of pent-up demand um, in terms of cash and, and people's spending power. Hopeful sign number five is the labour market is slowly recovering. Not fast enough, but slowly recovering. Hopeful sign number six, is fiscal constraint, so governmental constraint on spending uh, should only pose a moderate, moderate, modest drag over the next couple of years in terms of economic growth. Clearly the, the, the world has to stop spending more than it owns. Um, they, they believe the Greek move to, uh, to uh, you know, restructure the debt is not a matter of repenting in the future, will allow the Greeks to, to get to slowly wind themselves out, but it is going to be a multi-decade story. So this is the, the hottest, newest, hot off the press uh, research from Brent, the BCA people in Montreal, Canada, who do the research for the worldwide funds management community. So if you think about what the fund managers are thinking and what they've received, this is what they've received last night. Anyway, with that, I will encourage as many people as possible to stay online for the Q&A, if only for the fact to tell me what they think we should be, you know, what are the things we might want to think about in terms of a client presentation. We'll obviously take it on board. We can't guarantee we're going to have everything in there. But, um, but I'll hand over to Alex to do the, um, the uh, roll call and then we'll roll. <coughs> there you go, mate. Okay. Thanks, Rick. Uh, just usual process here. I'll just call out the names and uh, if your name isn't caught, if you could just mention it at the end. Tom Telford and Michael Gibbs, Diano Curry, Trent Burrows, Barry Vanderberg and Andrew Grinsell, Brendan Monaghan, Greg McCurdy, David Spearing, Zareda, Andrew Parr, Bev Carline, Greg Walkington, Sue, Jeff, Andrew and Grant from Advantage One, Bruce Killingly, David Burt, Paul Ellis, Gavin Moore, uh, Michael Williams uh, from Children's Office, Rolanda Adams and Jill Rotunda. Is there anyone else? Oh, oh Greg Wood, sorry, and happy birthday, Greg, as well. Oh, happy birthday, Wood. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Alex, yes. Sandy Hop speaking. Um, myself and Shirley McPherson are here as well. Thank sure. you, Sandy. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks, Shirley. And Mark Dickinson. Thanks, Mark. Rob Peterson. Nikki Hagley and B. Ong. Thank you. Mark Jason Danju. Thanks, Jason. Tony Carline. Tony Carline. Thanks, Tony. Yoni Ashford. Leonie. Greg and Damien Roberts. Thanks, Greg. Aaron Francis Ola. and Brian McGill. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, yeah, that was... Yeah, Brian, that was you, yeah? You got... Yeah, yeah. yeah gotcha, thank thanks. you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Rick, did you get me? It's Rob. Yeah, yeah Rob, Rob, Rob Jace, is there anybody else? Christina there? No, mate. Okay. No, okay, cool. Wow, that was a big group. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. All right, okay, so I'm in Q&A time. So this is largely, you know, 
I suppose first up, before I ask for questions and answers, if I'll just have a little quick bite from a few people as to A, whether um, you know, a client-facing targeted presentation, what sort of stuff, what are we looking for, you know, and um, how would you like it put together? Or not at all? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Uh, Greg here. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a great idea, Rick. Thank you. Um, you produced stuff like this in the past, which has had a very calming effect on clients, and it's come down very well. And it's just a matter of getting a message out to clients not to panic and that we're managing everything for them. Cool. Thanks. Would you, would you say, okay, to say, so, let's say someone else, um, uh, long presentation, like more than 10 slides, less than 10 slides? Good question. Keep it shorter would be better to keep um, the interest up. You don't want them um, disappearing or getting bored. Yeah. Any other comments on that? Attention span sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. What's the? Sorry, I I'm not sure the purpose of the. Of, of the is it a is it a formal presentation or something that we communicate on a regular basis to help people? Okay. It's uh, the target, and th this has come from advisor feedback. We believe to uh, people like the relationship managers, is that apparently the, what's been requested is that some advisors are having clients who are freaking out and this is, all, this is basically a presentation in supplement to our normal client-based presentation, which we'll do every month anyway, so we, we're not going to stop doing what we always do for you, but just specifically to talk about where we are at the moment given the fact that you know, there's people who are freaking out about what's happened at the moment with you know Europeans you know storming the streets in the US not doing as well as what should and of course Australia should be doing a lot better that sort of style so that that's yeah, the yeah. That, that, like on a weekly or fortnightly basis no nah, nah, this would be a one off a one off but okay. if it was weekly would if it was weekly you'd have uh, us doing nothing else <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, this is really specifically to almost go alongside, actually when I think about it, almost to go alongside your discussion with them with an annual report. Yeah. Rick, yeah. Greg Walkington. Yeah, Greg. Can't we get this, isn't this the sort of thing that Morningstar are doing anyway? Yeah, they are. One of the tricky things with Morningstar and some of these fund managers, they seem to pitch the information at the, at the advisor. And, um, and I agree with you. And I think what we're what we were thinking off the off the feedback is that the um, is that if we matrix size it, not a real word, um, and we make it a little bit more client focused, client friendly, client facing, it would be of some help to you guys. Okay, because we what we've done is we've used for some client communication some of um, uh, the guy from Perennial, um, Brian Thomas, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah we've actually got that. Yeah, that, that's part of guys. Yeah, we're actually thinking about using some of the charts in some of their material, actually, because I think Anna, you found that yesterday. It was a perennial. It was perennial. So that's one of them. Yes. So if that's the sort of thing, that's um, you know basically putting our our economic talk around positives, negatives, short-term risk, short, long-term risk. Why are you investing? You know, why do, why do advisors always recommend you stay in the market? That sort of you know why cash is the highest risk asset class of all all that sort of stuff alongside some of these sorts of slides. is the th that, That's the thinking that's going on in our head, um, but it was just fortuitous that we're having this conversation now because we, we started doing some initial work on it from, 
like basically from Tuesday when we had a research tele research meeting. And there might be, I mean, some advisors in our group are telling me we're not a problem, everything's fine, and our clients understand what, what, how, where everything's going on. And there are other people who are saying to us that their clients are freaking out. So it's the... Yeah, certainly, for what it's worth, um, since I got back, I haven't seen any major concerns from clients or heard from. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I'm also, just so you know, and this is, you know, credit to... Uh, to Vicky, for example, I think Vicky's one of the advisors as well as a few others that have been helping me put pressure on Oasis to put a market commentary together because they traditionally haven't done one or have done a pretty poor one. So, um, you know, I, I haven't had confirmation they're doing it and I suppose I'd rather not bank on the fact that an outside party is going to do it. Has anybody else got any other comments that might assist before I ask the straight Q&A? Yeah. Uh, Greg again, does it have to be a PowerPoint presentation or would it be better being a uh, Word document or a PDF? It's, you guys let us know, I suppose chart-wise, it's whatever you prefer is what we will do. I would prefer a, a PDF for um, easier accessibility for most clients. Uh, anybody else agree or disagree? I agree with that. I have a PDF because, um, especially with retirement. Yeah. I think something emailable or something like that. Yeah, okay. Cool. Can I, I just add, I don't, I don't well, know can we, sort of... Can we just hold one second? Um, something's changed in the last couple of minutes. There's a huge amount of echo. It's even worse than before. Maybe maybe if you just put your hand around, the, that, that's fixed it. Whoever's just done whatever they've done, done, thank you. Okay, cool. Um, All right, sorry. So yeah, just, it's Alex, is it? Yeah, uh, no, it's Rick here. Uh, I'm here as well. It's Brian here. Um, I just wanted to, not to re try and reinvent the wheel and sort of come up with something, but I think that the regular communication to clients would be helpful in, you know, I mean, you're already putting together a significant monthly review for us as advisors. Is yeah. there a way to perhaps sum it down to something that might just extract some of the key elements from what we discussed into something that we could just simply flick out as a, you know, it might be an email or something just to touch base with clients on them, you know, once a month? I mean... Yep. Brian, sorry, just the PowerPoint presentation that I sent out this morning, um, we do actually uh, just turn it into a client-facing document as well. What we do is we take out the the back section in relation to, you know, the funds and, and that section. What we do keep is like the market and economic commentary and the asset allocation positions and just go through it and just make sure it's client friendly. Um, that document is put up on the website as well. Um, so that, that goes out probably, you know, a, a few days after, after this teleconference. Um, but that's always there for you guys to use. Vic's talking about obviously a supplementary document really in regards to you know, the, you know, the volatility at yeah. the moment. So, so we've been, for about the last, and obviously you're new to this, but yeah. we've, for yeah. about the last, I think it's six or seven months, every month we've been doing the client-facing one every month. Yeah, right. so that, I wasn't aware yeah, of that. So. Yeah, that's right. when, when the website gets rebuilt, you'll be, you'll be, it'll be much easier to find this stuff, trust me. 
Um, Brian, I might send you a link to the um, to the previous ones just so you can have a quick look to the past ones and, and get a feel yeah, for it. Yeah. Okay. Sending them out. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, I mean, that's absolutely exactly the reason why I've done it is so people can basically do a monthly, if they wanted to do a monthly communication with their client, and you know, even if it was like a teleconference, as I'm, you know, you could do with the with the clients, or just send it out, or whatever. And it's, it's, got, a, um, and it's got an appropriate disclaimer and everything on it as well, Brian. So yeah. um, I'll, sh I'll send you a link to it um, yeah. when Thanks, I get back Alex. to the desk. All right. Is to me is, thanks for the question, Brian. It's Greg walking in again, because I didn't know that existed either. Okay. Yeah. I'll you can circulate it to all of us again, Alex. Yeah. What, what I'll do is I'll um, I'll send it to you guys uh, straight away. But in the key messages email, I'll attach that document as well. Thank you. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that gee, that's useful. Okay. I I think I'll um, you've just given me an idea, you two. So that's great. Um, another idea. Um, okay. So as any all right. Thank you so much. We are going to run with a, a documentary style document uh, rather than a straight PowerPoint. Uh, we will focus on the currency of what's going on at the moment rather than our, and that will be in supplement to the PowerPoint you guys get, which is the one that Alex has just talked about. Um, what I might now do, I might open just for general questions. Has, has anybody got any general questions about you know, what's going on and, and um, you know, anything we can help you with? Um, I, I have a general question, I, and I guess reasonably new to the to the matrix group, but getting on yeah. over a year now. But just the position with cash, I'm just interested that you put turn deposits in that asset class. Yes. Yeah. It's what's the I mean, I've, traditionally in my statement of advice, uh, I've always used it as a as a fixed interest position, but yeah, yeah. I think um, really or okay. No, you're definitely not wrong. No, 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 you're definitely not wrong. This is a question of client perception. If, if you can imagine a client walks through the door, and I w actually I wish I could have had this question. Actually, I, might, I wish I could have mentioned this during the main part of the teleconference, actually. Maybe we should think about it for next time. But anyway, the, um, the fact of the matter is <coughs> you're spot on. In terms of the dynamics of the way fixed interest works versus the term deposits, they're identical. Uh, you get a maturity. You get a maturity payment at the end of a period. You get a theoretical coupon or a discount to the value, just like a fixed interest. Uh, when you're dealing with a TD, however, when you are dealing with a client, um, it's I suppose it's our belief that clients look at term deposits the same way as they look at a bank account. Um, and the only difference yeah. is, that, and and so yeah, there's an element to this where it's client management. We the, the what's interesting is that the government treated term deposits the same way as they treated cash cash accounts um, in terms of the uh, cash guarantees. So it, term deposits almost like a hybrid. Administratively, it operates like fixed interest. Philosophically and investment riskily, if you like, it operates like cash. So I hope that clarifies that. that and, and you know what? That's a fantastic question. Probably something you should raise with the rest of the group because I'm sure I've never mentioned that before. Yeah, I guess I, I reason I use I like it in pick is that it sort of reinforces that position of clients that it's un unaccessible for a period of time. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose, so I suppose it's a grey area, isn't it, really? It absolutely is, because, I mean, I suppose the pushback, the pushback from the client always is, yes, I can get the money back, I just forgo the extra interest. Yeah, that's so, right. So it's, yeah. it's a difficult one, whereas, you know, you cannot make a bond, a bond issuer pay you early. Yeah. Okay. They can decide to pay early, but you as a, as a buyer of a bond can't, can't force the RBA, for example, to wind up a three-year bond early. So it, it's, it is absolutely in the, in the grey area. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
yeah. yeah, you're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> no, it's just a question of client perception. Um, we actually look at the whole thing and go, defensive assets, put them in a bucket. Because we, very, we strongly believe in the idea that even with fixed interest, you go down a diversified fixed interest path rather than trying to pick the eyes out of the market. It's, um, you know, you, if you're truly going to give a client defensive portfolio, you'd actually just have a bucket of these things. You'd have short-term stuff you can touch in a minute from today. You'd have stuff that you can touch, but you might forgo some interest. Let's call it TDs. And there's stuff that you can't touch whether you like it or not because it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, no worries at all. Um, any other questions? Yes, Rick, John Carroll. Yeah, yeah John. Managed fund model portfolios. Yes. Are those up to the end of this, uh, the last financial year? Uh, it's, it's as at the 31st of May. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we, we obviously because you know the numbers. So what ends up happening, just just so everyone knows, is Morningstar delivers um, its information to uh, Rob McGregor and his offsider, who does the, that he, who does that one tool for us, the performance tool. Uh, that's Rob's thing. Um, that gets delivered ten business days after the end of the month. Rob takes five business days to compile it and put all his stuff together, carve out only just the matrix-approved products then sends it to us, and then three days later we have our research committee. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah so uh, it's, do you, uh, you, I don't know if you remember, John, but in the old days we used to have a research meeting um, two weeks on. Like We'd actually have our, our end of May information coming out mid-July. Um, so what we did was we squeezed, up, we squeezed up the time that that comes out, but you know, the closest we can get really is four weeks after the after the month, which is a, a bugger, obviously. I wish it was straight away, but it just doesn't exist. Yep, understand. Thank you. That's all right. Any other questions, guys? No, thanks. Ladies? Rick, it's Greg walking in again. Yeah, Greg. Uh, j just hearing um, your comments about the new model portfolios, about switching next instalments to Mason Stevens and that sort of stuff. It well, all taking the stock, yeah. Yeah, it might be only me, but I really feel that we need to have some specific training sessions for these things when they're introduced. So yeah. That, um, it, obviously, some people have a keen interest or are closer to them. You know, the, the organiser of these things might grasp it and say, well, you know, we've already got it under control. But from my point of view, from the, some of the things you've mentioned this morning, um, I really feel like um, I'm, I'm well out of step as far as these things are concerned. And yeah, maybe um, there's some training, it's, it's, and it's along the lines of either in practice or in states or some dedicated training sessions for more than just half an hour when we get yeah. together in November. Absolutely. Well, I, I suppose there's two layers to this. I'll put the MD hat on, and I'll say that I, will, I can never, ever conceive another day that Matrix does the actual product training and development work for another entity ever again. I think that you know it had to be it it had to be done at the time, it you know it was appropriate at the time, but realistically this is exactly why these people are supposed to be paid to do what they do. So that's 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 the MD comment. I'll take the MD hat. I'll put the research hat back on, and say to you that what um, what the work that is supposed to have been done or supposed to be done with the, um, for example, Mason Stevens, for argument's sake, is that Mason Stevens do have account managers, they, are, they have got training material and they are supposed to be visiting you guys in your office. Alex, if you wouldn't mind making, uh, we'll, we'll put a comment, we'll send a message off to Tom Bignall, who's the well, they, they have, to be fair to them, okay, they've left a message for me. 
but just I thought it was just a case of sort of coming, meeting, and greeting, and not no, that, no. that they would ne- not necessarily be capable no. of organising yeah. the, uh, the switch training. No, definitely they're, they're the, they can do the switch training. What we've told them is the caveats around the switch training. So what we're saying, and and obviously we're not trusting anybody to it, is we're saying first port of call is is the client better off taking the five stocks for 25 grand and si- and having the stocks worth 32 grand in their portfolio. That's first port of call. So let's say someone who's got a reasonable amount of um, either equity or cash available. You know that might be the smart. That might be a smart thing to do, not the smart thing or a smart thing. You know, they're not coming off from that. Is um, is it appropriate for them to think about a Mason Stevens equity insulator? Then coming off from that, it, you know, let's say the clients just had it and they just want their money. Um, then that's what they do too. So that's your three options effectively. Uh, but yeah, Mason's is in a good position to do that. Clearly, they're going to be trying to convince you to roll over to a new product. What I'm saying is there are three strategic options, and you know, I mean, the the other two aren't, aren't training based. I mean, every advisor at Matrix, you know, obviously you would understand the the you know take the shares, you know, pay out the loan. The stocks are worth more than the loan. That's a good story. That's a good thing for the clients, or just winding it up, which is an easy story too. So yeah, no, absolutely take that on board. Um, anytime one of these product providers contact you, um, it's more likely to be training driven. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Oh, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I, I think yeah. As I said, you know, just just the point there was that, you know, we uh, it's it we don't think it's appropriate that Matrix does the training for product anymore. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's a really good one. Love these questions. Is there any other? Hey Rick, the only thing I'll say, there's plenty of boats outside Port Campbell and Bates, so BHP is working alright, I think. Mate, well, this is the thing, I, just as a, a bit of a side issue, you know, there's, there's, what is it, about 8 or 9 million people in Australia that are working full time, and there's 250,000 people who are working directly for the, the resources companies. So, when, and now, if, the, the, if there was one truth that Wayne Swan said in the budget, um, talk a, a few weeks ago is that the vast majority of the Australian population are, is not enjoying the resources boom. That's right, that's right. And that that fundamentally is, you know, there, there's a real issue here because I mean, you know, far be it from me to sympathise, but the, the thing is, how do you actually reallocate resources without a tax? So I, I bugger. Yeah, I, I haven't got a clue how you could possibly be sitting in government right now saying how do we how do we reallocate the huge amounts of money that are flowing through our resource companies to people who are mums and dads who are not even getting close to a benefit out of this and in fact are actually paying a higher interest rate on their mortgage for no other reason other than the fact that our um, our resources economy can sell iron ore at, uh, at historically high prices and then on top of that they get the kicker because the Australian dollar is worth a lot. It's it's a, it's a absolute you know for all the things that the federal government's doing wrong right now, this particular issue is not an issue of their making. So yeah, and we shouldn't necessarily be unhappy about it because if it wasn't for the resources part, we'd be stuffed. We'd be America. <laughs> we'd be we'd be, exactly we'd be America. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, mate. All right, guys. I might wind up if there's no other questions. Thank you so much. It's always great. Have a wonderful weekend.
and uh, I look forward to speaking with you in about a month or less. Yeah. Who's there? Uh, no, Alison uh, hasn't joined us today. Okay, she no, normally does. I, th I think she's doing staff reviews. <laughs> All right, mate. All right. No worries, Maxie. See you, see you guys. Thank you so much.